right. Thanks for listening to NYC, another college football weekend in the books. And we're here to talk about some of the games, but we have a lot of things to talk about. Will Sanchez, Dory Bennett, Scott Ligo, our coaches are on tap. And more importantly, before we get started, uh, Dory is very confused about the rush of toilet paper as Governor Inslee announces that he's about to shut Washington down, uh, coinciding with states like Oregon and a few other states um, that are trending that direction direction uh dory toilet paper and bread flour i don't understand why you don't understand this concept we have to bake and whatever we bake we have to go use the toilet so we have to go out and get bread flour and toilet paper dory scott dory welcome to the show uh please this is a safe place talk about (laughs) your concerns with toilet paper (laughs) i just like people rushing out to get when they hear that, that we're getting shut down again because the crazy people that go and rush out and get the toilet paper may be the crazy people that aren't wearing masks and taking consideration of others. Just say it. Yeah. I, I just I, I, to me, it's just baffling. Why? Because Costco is going to be open. So why is there a line all the way around Costco? People aren't social distanced. To get toilet paper, I don't understand it. Yeah, I, 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 I can only plead the fifth on this one. I just don't understand either, personally. My daughter uh, sent me a picture this morning of a Costco wrapped all the way around the whole place, 50%. Uh, they can only enter in on the place. And then the best part, they told me that they literally weren't even letting you touch the toilet paper. They were just throwing the toilet paper into your um, basket, your cart. They wouldn't even let you come over there. That's how bad it was. That that's absolutely because toilet incredible. paper. They're going to stop. Yeah, because they're going to stop making toilet paper if things get shut down again in the state of Washington and other states. That means that the toilet paper manufacturing companies aren't going to be working. Yes, they are. <laughs> Listen, there's a lot of concerns. Jerry Seinfeld dealt with this in one of his uh, episodes. You know, the episode where they go in the bathroom and he's asking, he's like, please, can you spare a square? And he's like, no, I can't spare a square. But he's like, wait a minute, I have no squares to spare. But you do have squares to spare. I have none. Can you please spare a square? And it was this whole debate. And that's what happens. You don't want to yep. spare a square. I, I, I get it. I, I get it. Seinfeld right? was like, uh, was ahead of his time when uh, he had that episode. On a lot of on a lot of those episodes, he was. But it's because it's that's their comfort. Like some people, if that's their comfort, they feel comfortable. They feel safe at home as long as the pantry and every nook and cranny has rolls of toilet paper in it. And that is our three and a half minute breakdown of uh, toilet paper. Uh, You're you're welcome. (laughs) Listen, uh, something else that has gone awry, once again, another weekend has passed. This past weekend, we had 15 games either canceled or postponed. Uh, The only top five team to play this weekend was number two, Notre Dame. Uh, Bama, Ohio State, and Texas A&M didn't play either cancellation or postponement. Uh, Clemson had the bye week. Uh, before we get into um, the Huskies, 
uh, uh, last night. Uh, you know, what do you what are your thoughts that we're seeing? We're seeing the numbers across the United States go up. We're seeing them in in every state, and now we're seeing them on the weekends. Last weekend was only seven games. You know, the weekend before that was roughly around the same. Now we're seeing them doubled uh, this uh, this past weekend. Uh, thoughts and, and concerns. We'll start with you, Dory, first. Thoughts and concerns. Um, the direction that we're going in as we try to finish um, this football season? Well, I think the biggest concern is that the numbers in every state in the United States are spiking to, to higher numbers in both positive tests. Maybe there's more testing going on, but the number of positives, the number of hospitalizations, and the number of deaths are now higher than they were in the spring. So I think that's our biggest issue, number one. That's the biggest issue. And and trying to get football seasons completed, games completed, uh, it seems to be secondary. But I'm thinking that, the, that two things. Number one, the states that have high uh, COVID rates that are raising, that are the, the highest ones, um, they are also the ones that had students back in school in some way, shape, or form, whether it was full-time or a hybrid model. So there's a correlation there of, for real. And now those schools are having to shut down. And then number two, if, if people can't take it upon themselves to have this kind of discipline, these football games are going to get canceled. And then when there's a lockdown, then what are people going to do? Yeah, yep. Well, I, I agree a thousand percent with Dory there on that whole piece. Number one, I mean, the, the numbers aren't, you know, they don't lie, tell the truth of the whole story. Um, and, you know, there's there's besides the correlation of what Dory was saying about the, the states with the, the numbers increasing, you know, a lot of it can be traced back to Halloween parties uh, from the college campuses, that type of stuff. Um, you know, at this point, the finish line is the most important thing. Can we, can we get this thing finished and done? It is a weird 2020 year. Uh, but at this point we can't move the goalposts, keep moving them back and doing things. Got to finish this thing out quickly and fat, you know, and, and, you know, as, as we can, I, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty critical of the PAC 12 sometimes, but I did think that to be honest with you, that I felt like uh, at least they're trying to be innovative and try to put two teams together this weekend to play today on a Sunday, which is so weird on the Sunday morning to see a college team playing, but uh, you know, good for UCLA with the win over Cal. Um, so, you know, uh, being innovative, but also, you know, we got to get, we got to get to the end of this thing and, and we got to figure that out. And what's that look like? The Southeast conference is trying to do some things, but, uh, you know, that, like the PAC 12, look, we all know, I mean, that's, they're on a, they're on a really thin rope, man. It's six games. They got to get them in and get it done and, 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 and see where, where, where they, where they land after that. So it's, uh, you know, we all got to do our part. And uh, that's the most important thing and be a part of it so that we can watch the games and enjoy enjoy what we can on the weekends. So, All right, let's start with the Pac-12. Um, as some of you may know, the last time uh, Washington opened the season against Oregon State was 1918. And that's important because the last time that was, they had the Spanish flu. So apparently we'd never want to play Oregon State uh, as a season opener because that means that we're in a pandemic. 
Anyway, the game played last night. The Huskies won 27-21 over the Beavs. Uh, before I let you guys talk, uh, what is wrong with people with Beavs? You don't have enough letters to go Beavers. When I saw the jerseys, they absolutely drove me crazy before I even watched one play. I... Yeah, I don't understand. Stuff like this drives me crazy. Nike so sometimes is so smart, they're really dumb. Anyway, let's get to the game. Dory, what were your thoughts? Uh, first and foremost, seeing the redshirt freshman quarterback Dylan Morris out there. I think that for everybody that hadn't been privy to the any practices, it was a surprise. Uh, but he was the... The uh, MVP of the scout squad last a season ago, which really does say something. It means that he's he really did have more reps in practice than any of the other quarterbacks combined, mm. because there wasn't a returning starter. So regarding running the Husky offense, now with that said, it was a completely different um, and interesting offense. Uh, play calling that I'm sure we'll get into, but you know, the Huskies won. Um, Dylan, he did a good job. He didn't turn the ball over. Um, it felt like it was a very conservative game plan and definitely relying on the, on the running game big time. But I'm, I'm, I have a lot of concerns, a lot of concerns about my dogs. <laughs> Well, um, I think that, uh, you know, a little sentiment to, towards what Dory's just said there, too. I agree that uh, I thought the first half, that, you know, offensively, you know, I saw some things that they were doing. I thought make make some sense. They were doing some good things, running off tackle. Um, I saw some weaknesses in the Oregon State stuff, and then it just seemed like to get away from it. Uh, was a little surprised by Dylan Morris, but uh, there's actually a crazy stat I saw this morning. Dylan Morris is the first QB, Washington QB not named Jake to start a game since October 24th of 2015. The rest of the QB passes have been made by, by a guy named Jake, Jake Browning, Jake yep. Eason, Jake Container, <laughs> and Jacob Sermon. So, yeah. So Dylan, Dylan, Dylan changed up that whole thing. So, um, having said that, I think that uh, the uh, you know it was interesting at the end of the game, um, which I'm sure we'll get into a little bit later. Um, I thought that was interesting. Um, uh, and, and you know, everybody knows I have a little special teams, um, you know, passion for my for, for in our family. So I was very disappointed to see their special teams, the Washingtons. I uh, felt like, the, you know, missing kicks, uh, bad kickoffs. I was just shocked that they kicked it to that kid late in the game. I thought all that's all they need is have the kid run it back for a touchdown and win by one. Um, so, uh, you know, I think they obviously have some work. The rust is definitely there. You can see it. And, they, you know, by week two, hopefully they'll improve and get better. But uh, I thought Arizona took, uh, you know, USC right to the very end. So, I'm you know, that, that's not no gimme next Saturday. So uh, they've got a lot of work to cut out to get themselves straightened away. Let's talk about that first half then. You know, we, we saw uh, the, the, we saw the long snapper having some issues, and apparently the, slow, the long snapper is the short snapper, and I didn't even know there was a short snapper. I thought it was a red snapper, <laughs> and you had the long snapper, and it went over his head, and that was their first touchdown. I turned on the game, and it was 7-zip. I said, what happened? And then I saw yep. the replay of what happened and uh, off and running. So uh, let's just talk about that first half. You know the, the you know your your thoughts, your your pros and cons. Um, Dory, you, you can start it off. You know what were your thoughts on that first half of what you were looking at? Well, overall, in the first half, uh, special teams, all the special teams 
whether it's punt coverage, okay, or lack thereof, kick coverage, um, the offensive play calling at the end of the first half was highly suspect. And I, I'm not quite sure who the wide receiver coach is, but if you're not teaching your players, your wide receivers, to catch the ball with their hands and that they might need to extend their arms a little bit to catch the ball, we're going to have issues. The passing game will be non-existent if that doesn't happen pretty soon because the re- wide receivers did not do Dylan any favors yesterday, last night, none at all. And maybe that changed some of the play calling, but I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not huge convinced. I have concerns. I have concerns on the offensive side, unless we're running the ball and, and the end around that horizontal game plan with the end around on the runs, I, I, tal- more talented teams is what we will play against. And it's not going to work. It's flat, not going to work. And it, even Oregon State said, well, I saw it once. Now this time I'm going to see it. And they caught the guy behind the line of scrimmage on the end of round. So I'm, I'm concerned. I am highly concerned. Yes, uh, you know, they put up, uh, the Huskies put up 20, 24 points in the first half. Uh, and only got three in the second. Entire second half. So Oregon State went in and made some adjustments. And the Huskies didn't do anything to keep drives going, keep the ball moving. Um, and the two plays right before half, seriously, 35 seconds left in the, in the half. And you're going to have two running plays where you're exchanging the ball and doing an end around. Ridiculous. We almost lost the ball twice before half. So but that's my first half analysis. <laughs> It's, it, the, the, the best thing about Dory, she's not passionate. No, that's what, you know, it, doesn't, no. it, it doesn't. It doesn't come out in her at all. It, she doesn't have an opinion. She just kind of bottles it up. Doesn't really express herself. You know, it's very um, unhealthy. Yeah, it's well, an issue. It's an yeah. issue. Well, I, I, I thought, you know, I listened to a lot of, you know, what Coach Blake kept on talking about. You know, uh, you build heavyweight bodies and to, to, you know beat up on the lightweights and you know so i was interested to see their offensive line how much bigger and stuff like that and like jackson kirkland changed his body become a left tackle i think he i watched him pretty hard and i think he's gonna have he's, he's got a little bit of work to get going on and because uh, left tackle is such a tough position to play especially protecting the quarterbacks you know blind side stuff like that but I, you know, in the beginning, I thought, well, boy, this is kind of what they, what, what he wants to do, run the ball, mm-hmm. you know, had the attack. I thought uh, uh, Sean, uh, the, the running back, was light, lighter on his feet, a little faster. I thought they were doing some good things vertical, getting up the field. And then it was like what you're saying, Doris, they just all of a sudden started going to doing the horizontal stuff, and it was weird. And it was just like, guys, you're just punching them in the face, and they can't handle it. Just keep punching them in the face. And uh, I felt like that you just got away from the thing, and I totally agreed that I felt like the second and half adjustments weren't made yeah. and that they, they just felt like they could just continue to do what they want. And, and, you know, as, as coach Hart used to always say, the other team is, uh, uh, has 85 scholarship players and they got coaches too. So they're going to make some adjustments and they're going to, you know, redo some things. So, uh, you know, again, a lot of work to do. Jimmy's first game, you know, coach Lake's first game, you know, he's going to make some adjustments. Uh, I know that I saw him talking to coach Gregory late in the game. I think it was pretty obvious. It was about the stuff team. So I'm sure there's going to be a lot of emphasis on special teams this week. So, um, you know, 
but again, you know, you, the big picture where I'm down to the second half, but you know, to only have three points and, and the missed field goals and stuff like that, that's, you know, can okay. definitely cost you in, in a tougher game against somebody else who could maybe put points up earlier on you. So it's uh, some things we got to work on. And kickoff coverage, like what the heck? Aren't guys supposed to stay in their lane? Yeah. And then aren't you supposed to like kick to a place? And, and Scott, as you said, why are you kicking to this dude? He keeps, he's getting at least 35, 45 yards on the kickoff. And then what happened to our kickoff, our kicker? He quit yep. kicking it into the end zone. Yep. I, like, I, what I happened? Yeah. Well, that, that, that's probably a coach's decision, right? To tell the kid not to kick it to the end zone? No, that uh, was an effort issue. Did you see what was happening after he his follow through on his legs? He's going sideways. His yeah. body weight isn't going forward on the kickoff. Yeah, there was so. some, there was some interesting stuff to the end of the game. Again, I I was shocked to see the ball in the air. I thought for sure they were just going to squib it, you know, push it down there and just, you know, let the kid fall on it and take the ball at the twenty and start from there. But boy, when they threw it and they kicked in the air, I thought, oh, I did not want to give this kid another chance at this because he is definitely scared. I mean, they had, they had over a hundred yeah. yards in returns in the first half. Yeah, I mean, or don't Oregon give that kid State more. Defense. Yeah. yeah, and Oregon State's defense. Uh, they, I mean, Oregon State's offense started just they, once they went up tempo and they went no huddle. The Huskies had no answer for it. Yeah, on defense, and because we were we were blitzing on a very regular basis, our guys are bigger and faster. Use them the right way. I was highly concerned about the amount of yardage that Oregon State started racking up uh, in the game because we weren't stopping anything. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, for the life of me, I, I don't understand what happened in the second half. I thought uh, the running back Sean McGrew was absolutely fantastic, phenomenal. Yeah, eighty-two yards and a touchdown in the first half, and I think he got yeah. the ball once or twice what? in the second half. He only ended up with ninety-one yeah. yards, and they kept fe- uh, feeding the the other running backs. Um, his name is escaping me right now. I, I forgot. Uh, Ple- Pleasant and. Um, uh, Newton, and then who's the freshman? Who's the redshirt freshman? It was between Pleasant Newton. Newton had like 15 carries and like 30 yards or something like that, roughly. I'm, you know, I'm I'm guesstimating here. Uh, I don't understand. McGrew was a weapon. He was faster. He hit the hole. We were talking about going sideline to sideline. He was attacking the hole. And I just, I don't understand why they got away from I don't understand how you can have 82 yards in the first half, averaging over, you know, something like 14 yards a carry, and you stop giving him the ball. There must they, have been they, something they, in practice They They, the they did Oregon State a favor. Listen, if, what, as far as punishment? There must have been something that was happening in practice. One of the guys was practicing better than than the other. As to who started, there it was a surprise that Newton started. By the way, huge surprise. Hmm. I, I, so, I thought McGrew was um, absolutely phenomenal. I, 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 for the life of me, I mean that that kid last, you know, that kid last night should have had. 20, 22 carries, the way he was he was running and, and controlling yeah. the game, the way he was running through tackles, he was hitting the hole, he was decisive, he was fast. Yeah. I mean, he was wearing number five. I was like, who's that, McCaffrey? I'm like, what, what's going on out here? They, oh, Husky's got yeah. a McCaffrey with number five out there. And then, poof, yeah. gone, gone, just gone in the second half. Uh, how, so, how much, yeah. uh, just real quick here, uh, and and I'll I'll go with, uh, with Scott with this one first, and then Dory, please chime in. Um 
how how much is it just a you know new coach, new coaching staff, uh, first game, lack of practice, um, and just everything that's happened, you know, leading up to last night's game. How many of these variables you think can get cleaned up going into week two? Well, I, I think no matter whose season is, you know, you start the first game, it's always, you know, mechanics, coaching, getting plays called in at the same time, right time, blah, 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 all those things new guy running the offense, all that kind of stuff. That's per se of a regular season. Uh, obviously, we're dealing with a really strange season, you know, having what we're doing, dealing with now starting. It's it's amazing to say that we've played our first game and we're almost at the end of November. So it's kind of weird to even say that. Having said that, I also think that, you know, I'm, I, I, I hate to say this, but I'm, I'll use a team like uh, Wisconsin. Uh, you know, they had started their first game, looked like bandits a couple of weeks ago, uh, had a bunch of, you know, issues and came back last night and whooped up on a Michigan teams. And there was no, it seemed like they didn't change from their, their, their modus operandi. They're going to run the ball, pound you hard and do those things. And, and so, you know, part of me says, yeah, I give a little bit of the credit to the, all those issues of uh, the COVID and, and starting late. But I also think that, boy, you just got to be who you are and stay to, true to who you are and just be very, very good at, at you know, three or four things that if you, whatever that is, I mean, if you're just going to run off tackle, what are you going to do and leave McGrew in there and, and make it happen. But uh, I, you know, I, I would probably say about 40% of the, the COVID stuff and about 60% coaching decisions and, and kind of, you know, and wh- where they were going with things and, uh, and lack of, uh, you know, you know, not doing great job on the special teams. Well, every team has had to deal with COVID, and the Huskies have been practicing. So, to me, they've not—they didn't stop practicing, right? I mean, once yep. once it was once everything started up again, they were ready to play Arizona last week, or excuse me, Cal last week. Okay, now they didn't stop practicing just because Cal had to shut things down. The Huskies kept rolling, so they had another—they had they had two weeks to get ready for Oregon State. Let's be real. Yep. And it was like, well, Oregon State already had a game. Stop the nonsense. Just stop the nonsense. And the Huskies, they're, they're trying to figure out who they are, but you've had this opportunity. You've had this time. Uh, it was good that there, I think there was only one play where, uh, there was one play where the, uh, the Huskies, there was, there was a lack of speed and urgency and communication from, the sidelines into the into the huddle, and the Huskies ended up getting a delay of game. It actually ended up being a critical delay of game because then that put us in third and real long. Yeah. So um, the timing on that was was not good. There was only one time where there was uh, uh, the offensive line moved before they should have. Okay, and that was on Kirkland. And it was so it was like way 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 obvious, not just accidental. wasn't set. So I think uh, I think there was a they ran their offense smooth. I have an issue with the play calling, okay, and I have an issue with the fact that um, you can't run a horizontal offense in the Pac-12, and that's what it turned into yesterday. And there wasn't anything Oregon State was doing defensively to stop the vertical game. The Husky receivers were dropping balls and not catching them, putting their hands out there to catch the balls. So that was critical. There were two touchdowns. Should have had two touchdowns. And the receivers just flat dropped them. So 
I'm concerned about, again, I'm concerned about the offense, and I'm just concerned that they don't know who they are yet. I don't think the team has an identity yet. They're trying to get it. There are young players out there, but your veteran players, man, let them be the leaders. That offensive line, if you put them up against Oregon State, they dwarfed Oregon State's players. I mean dwarfed them, and they should. Huskies should be faster, bigger, stronger than Oregon State all the time. Trust I lived through this when my brother was a quarterback for Oregon State. Like, uh, truly, I get um, that the Huskies need, yeah. It'll be interesting to see what happens this week. But your special teams, they will lose you games. And because we played Oregon State is the only reason we didn't lose due to special teams. Arizona will eat it up. They don't get that settled up. Scott, speaking of special, um, the Pac-12 officials last night were once again special. Uh, what were you thought on some critical events uh, that had occurred toward the end of the game? Well, obviously, the first one is the the spot on the you know the Oregon State, which I I felt you know without trying to be a Husky homer, Homer uh, felt like they got the first down. Um, unless they can show me another view from the other side, I, I thought for sure he'd gotten it and ends up being short and the sticks called it and said it went the other way. So I felt like that was, you know, really bad. Uh, I know coach Smith talked about it last night and he said that they were told they, they, they looked at it, but there was no change and the play went and they never really looked at it, you know, real hard. So that's number one. And number two, you know, and it's, it's a bigger issue for me. The targeting call, I, I think to, to the, to the, to the degree of the call uh, to where they want to call where they're trying to make the safety of the game. It was definitely a targeting shot. It was to the head and that's, there's no doubt about it, but I'm, I'm that issue with the whole procedure of how we're doing these things. And again, I, I just don't feel like throwing kids out of games is the right way to do it. I just think that, you know, there should be a, a ramped up for, I don't know what it is, what the rules could look like, but uh, just and then, you know, they finally changed it this year. They allow the kid to stay on the field. I mean, to, to get kicked off, and you're, you're, you're away and you get thrown off and you're back in the locker room all by yourself waiting for your team to come. If you got kicked out in the first half, you're literally sitting by yourself for a half of the game. So I just think that, you boy, you know, and then I felt like the, um, some, some other question calls are in different times of the game. But those two really stood out. The, the, but definitely the spot was definitely interesting. I'd like to hear Dory's comments on that. Um, I think that the spot you're talking about the second spot, the second time they ran for it on, on it was short. Yeah, it was yeah, spotted. Like- it was spot. It was spotted poorly. My my question is, um, can't you can't you challenge the placement um, of the ball? Like, can't I, that be I, a I, thought the, I thought the same thing. I was I was wondering why Coach Smith wasn't trying to do that. I, I thought that was very interesting. I thought we yeah, were gonna come back from. I thought they were gonna come back from because they went to a commercial, and I was concerned yeah. about they're gonna come back from the commercial. And I was like, Washington's the run a play, right? As soon as they come back, run that play because you do not want to see another replay because I don't think that's gonna work out well for them. And um, well, next thing I and, know, Washington's lining up. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Yeah, and Oregon State. I think uh, first of all, it was a poor spot. If if I was Oregon State, if that was my team, I would be. I would feel like. Yeah, we got homered by the dogs. We got homered yeah. at Montlake for sure yeah. um, on that play because I was expecting, truly, there wasn't anything that the Huskies were doing to stop Oregon State. There wasn't on that drive. 
And so in my head, I'm thinking, okay, Oregon State's going to score here, and then we're going we're going to have to see what the Huskies can do with two minutes, or if Donovan even knows what two minute offense is. Yep. So yeah, yep. I thought that yep. was bad. And on the on the targeting, um, I, I I I feel the same way you do regarding players. It, it was he didn't launch right, yeah, but yeah. he led with the head. Yeah. Led with the head and made contact. And I didn't see his arms come out to try and make a tackle either. And I think that that's another piece that when guys are tackling, if their, if their arms don't come out to also make it with that tackle, if the arms coming out, then more of the body is going to be a part of the tackle. And it may be what contact, what makes contact first. But the fact that he led with the head I, is, is definition of targeting. Dory, I, I love that explanation, especially there's so many people, and if you go on social media today or last night, that were talking about that play about the targeting, and you have all the different sides of people arguing it. And that is the perfect explanation that you can explain to someone about why it's targeting. And I, I would admit that if it's targeting, it's on the low end of targeting, but there is no low, middle, or high. It's either targeting or it's targeting. Yeah. And the fact that yeah. you're saying that the player's defender's arms didn't come up and it was initiated with the head, right? And it was initiated with the head. You see the chin tucked down, so he's definitely yeah. leading with the head. I think that's a great explanation for people that just don't understand why it was called targeting because there's a lot of people saying that's not targeting or I'm confused by it or everything else. And and I think that's a great explanation. There, there was no intent to hit with the rest of the body. You led with the head yeah. and then the rest followed. And I just, uh, yeah. I, I really love that explanation. Well, I think there's also, also another point out to the general public to think when they talk about these things, the exact same thing you're talking about, Will, about social media. They said, well, he, he became a runner. Well, that still doesn't be just because he's a quarterback and he's still right. He's still, I mean, that argument. He, it's a terrible argument. A runner, I mean, it's like, guys, what are you talking about? It's part of the game. If the guy comes on with a helmet, no matter if he's a quarterback or not, he is a guest. He is a runner. There's no doubt about that. You, you drop and dip, dip your head. That's targeting. That's bottom line. And and in like you know, Pereira said last night that if you were to use the definition of it to the crown of the helmet, that's where the the the, where the helmet was hit, and it was the crown of the helmet. And again, Dylan dip. There's no doubt about it. But and that's you know, again, part of the mechanic things that we think that, that they, I think they need to really start talking about in how they how they you know to uh, adhere to these rules. But uh, it's it was uh, you know it it is what it is. It's part of the game. It's going to be a controversial part of it from here on out from everybody and everybody's ver- version of targeting. I just think most of us, all of us would agree that we just want it to be consistent. That's what I think that's the most important thing, just being consistent. And what Dylan did was he, that's what he's taught to do. Well, if you're the quarterback, when you're, yeah. you got to get down. You yeah. have to get down. If you don't get down, then the coaches will be on you. So, what Dylan did was exactly what he should have done. And another Oregon State player had already tackled him. Mm-hmm. Another Oregon State player had already made contact tackling Dylan. Yep. And yep. the second player that came in that ended up with targeting, okay, he, I mean, he didn't, I know, he wouldn't have been able to stop. I'm not saying he should have stopped in his tracks. Yeah. But tackling from when you little you learn how to tackle 
Yep. So get your arms out, buddy. Get the rest of your body initiating that uh, the tackle. Yeah, whether we're happy or not with the inconsistency of the call, the most important thing is that there is a call. College football led the way yeah. with this, right? Not the NFL, yeah. right? This wasn't the NFL. This wasn't a lead from, you know, it. this wasn't a trickle down. This was a trickle up and eventually has trickled down where we're trying to get it out of high school now. We're trying to get it out of uh, a peewee and little league and stuff like that. Um, so whether... It's not dialed down because I don't know what call is because we can argue holding, pass interference. We can argue every single call (laughs) in football that is inconsistent. So what I'm happy about is that this call is in there because we've seen too many kids get hit a certain way. We've seen guys like uh, Shazier on Pittsburgh stay lay motionless on the field, and he's lucky that he's able to walk today. We have too many incidents where the head is the driving force because the helmet is the weapon and has been used as a weapon to spear, to tackle, and to lead the way for too long. And, you know, it's either we get this rule in or we take the face ma- face mask off the helmet, but something has to change because it's already a violent sport. We don't need the helmet being used to create more violence, especially with these guys being so big, fast, and strong. And I'm just glad that the rule is in there. Amen. Yeah, it needs to stay. The rule needs to stay. All right. Leading the way. This is my segue here. Uh, Ivy Sports has uh, canceled. um, I'm sorry. The Ivy League has canceled winter uh, winter sports. And they've pretty much led the way as far as making these decisions before anybody else has. They led it uh, when it came down to uh, fall sports when they canceled it. And now they've canceled uh, canceled winter sports about a week away from uh, college basketball starting. Um, I'm just going to read you a, a quick little quote. Um, And then I'll uh, pass it on to you guys. Um, This is from the Ivy League Council of Presidents. They said, uh, student athletes, their families and coaches are again being asked to make enormous sacrifices for the good of public health. And we do not make this decision lightly. While these decisions come with great disappointment and frustration, our commitment to the safety and lasting health of our student athletes and wider communities must remain our highest priority scott um when you first heard about uh the ivy league canceling winter sports uh what what were your initial thoughts well uh, i think it just for me it it, it parallels to society what's going on i mean you you just see the uptick you see the things that are happening uh we both know that uh you know people said that in the wintertime things were going to tick up and they have and now we're literally going inside to play sporting events and uh I, I just think if you can't control the factors, then how can you do these things? And even I think Coach Patino yesterday came out and said we need to, you know, need to lay this thing and, and reset it a little bit. And so I think that there's, you know, groundswell for this thing. I just, again, uh, I think again, parallels with society. I think the numbers are showing what it is. Uh, we talked about it in, in the beginning of the show, and uh, we need to, you know, adhere to those things. And uh, you know, but we also know that you know the the money maker for the NCA is the basketball tournament. And so, um, you know, we can talk about the reasons why a lot of the football programs are even running, you know, today. And it has to usually probably do with finances and things like that. So, uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, with, uh, you know, uh, with uh, Ivy Leagues, they try to be a step ahead, try to do the right thing. 
Uh, they don't have the impact or the dollar amounts that they're going to see from the TV revenue. So it's a probably easier decision for them to make. Dark? Yeah, I, I was um, just taking a look, or I saw what Patino said yesterday as well. And I generally don't agree with him on a lot of things, but I do agree <laughs> with him on this. Yeah, can can you ver- verbalize what he said um, uh, re- regarding uh, the start and end of uh, college basketball? What he said was it that that it needs to be delayed because um, of the spike in the co- in in the coronavirus. Right, it's starting mm-hmm. to spike. And the other part is this: that basketball does not have an implementation of what happens if a team gets COVID and you can't play. There's not they 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 don't have the 14 day pause for a positive test like college. Um, the college basketball doesn't have that. So he said that despite the breakout, um, Patino still thinks that he said it would be a mistake. But right now the NCAA just wants to get it started, see what happens. But you can see what's happening right now with all the lockdowns. If you have to lock down for almost 21 days, how can you have a season? He's also concerned about the health and the safety of the players and being out of shape. More injuries are, are, are going to happen, and, and more injuries will come into play. So um, the, the other piece that he said is that the NCAA, this is Patino again, the NCAA has always been an organization that tries to do the best for the student-athlete. Okay, well, uh, that's where I disagree with him. But they are very reactive. They are not proactive. And this calls for measures right now to be very proactive. The writing's on the wall that the virus is spiking and out of control. And with the protocol and the rules set forth, it's impossible to have a season. So I, I think, yeah, those, those were his. Um, it says that the, um, the fact that the football, that, that basketball needs to take a look at what's happening in football. And that uh, with 15 games canceled, Right. If we start the season November 25th, which is what? Uh, not this week, but the following week to start the season, then then it's just destined for disaster. Scott, um, the league, uh, Ivy League said that uh, fall and winter student athletes will not lose a season of uh, NCAA eligibility. Um what what does that mean, and what what are some of the concerns uh, when it comes down to eligibility for uh, these student athletes, where whether it's the Ivy League or in other leagues, that they have to be um, just aware of and cognizant of the situation? Well, it comes down to every program in the country has a number. You have only thirteen basketball scholarships. You have eighty five football and Division one uh, programs. You know, so everything's about a number game. Now the NCAA has come out and said that you don't lose your eligibility you, you you know you don't have a year counted on your this year my you know concern and i think all programs in the country and it trickles down to the smaller ones from a to more of a financial issue but the biggest thing is numbers wise where do, how's your numbers going to work is the nca going to make some adjustments when it comes to the numbers obviously they have to if they're going to allow this rule to, to apply but now you're talking maybe a program like a uh uh, Alabama or Ohio State, uh, Clemson or somebody like that, they can end up with 103, 108, you know, Division One or uh, scholarship players because of this rule. Um, then if you kick it down to like a Central Washington who does things by a big old money pile and slices, and now all of a sudden they've got 
you know, way more kids than they have because of the backup from this year's, last year's, and this upcoming freshman class that's coming in. Uh, boy, that's that that financial implication is hard, and you haven't played a season, so you have you don't have any revenue coming in. Uh, so the big the big picture is, you know, how one is how the NCAA is going to allow that to handle the numbers. How many more kids can you have? Uh, so that's one. Uh, two is, you know, the implications of the smaller schools. How how are they going to be able to afford this? And, uh, you know, we, we as we know, like in the restaurant industry, that's going to be so, you know, unfortunately hit with the Washington, you know, shut down this this past time. How many programs will be standing up at the end of this whole thing? That, that'll be probably the real question to see how they're going to be able to handle this. If you're a high school senior, just one second, Dory. I apologize for interrupting. Uh, No, no, no. no. Go ahead. If you're a high school senior and depending where um, you've committed uh, to go to, um, are you really concerned that – that that committed commitment is going to be upheld if you're, you know, you know, maybe not a five star athlete or something like that, like you said, because there is going to be concern at the end of, you know, whether it's spring in 2021 or whenever they have to look at the books for the fall that they're going to say, yeah, we can. The NCAA has allowed us to have X amount of eligibility, but we can't afford to do that. And now you're going to have some kids that had some commitments that are going to be um, rescinded. Well, that that's that. I mean, that's that, that's the, the, the implied implication of what I was saying. That yeah. you will definitely have that piece. Um, the Division Ones can uh, you know absorb it a little bit, bit differently and a, l- a little bit more. Um, you know, and I don't know if you guys know, but they've they've also uh, the dead period has been extended all the way till April of next year. So the yeah. major college programs are not going to be able to get out and see these kids. So everything's going to be done by virtual. I, it, it's 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 just it's a big huge cluster to be quite frank and honest with you. And I could add an adjective to the end of that cluster, but I'm not because we're on a PG radio show. But um, it's it's you know it's going to be an issue. There's going to be a lot of stuff that's going to happen here, and a lot of kids are going to you know they're going to maybe go to that school because they can't go to it physically and be on campus and kind of get the culture and figure out what, how those things are. And they're going to pull out. They're going to go the opposite direction. You know, the, you know, the so it's, it's a two way street for the whole thing. But the bottom line is, yeah, that's, that's definitely an, an issue that could definitely come up and probably will come up to be quite frank and honest with you. Well, the money piece does come into play. And when there, there is, there is something that I think they can do. They meaning the NCAA if we're just looking at Division One programs, which is really how the rules are made, and then there's the trickle-down effect. With Division One programs, it used to be, I mean, way back in the day, that all freshmen were redshirted, okay? And they did that for a lot of reasons, right? And then it was changed. But they could implement a freshman redshirt rule, okay? Get the freshmen on campus. Uh, that means that you're not that um, it, it would give those seniors and we're going to need a couple of years of this to get those seniors their their additional year of eligibility, whatever that looks like. So that then there is room for those scholarship pieces to come in uh, schools like the University of Washington and, and all these D1 programs. They all had huge fundraising push for uh for money to continue to support the program, the scholarships, and and quite frankly, jobs. And it turned out to be quite successful. 
but I will just tell you that I think the redshirt freshman rule, if you implement that again, um, you know, very rarely do you see a true freshman, a true freshman go in and be an impact player. WSU's quarterback, Delora, is one, okay? Um, Trevor uh, at Clemson was one. But rarely do you see a true freshman come in and make that kind of an impact. So that's one way to do it. it they, they, won't cost, they don't cost as much money. They, they hardly got to, I mean, they hardly got to practice when they were out there redshirting because they had so many players on the team. So that could be one way to do it. I'm seeing on a, on a personal level, I'm seeing it impact um, my, my, my tennis player. D1 tennis player, because so many schools, so many universities, their tennis they they have seniors that stayed, so there's no space. And tennis is not a revenue generating sport, so it's directly impacting all those non revenue generating sports big time, and impacting those high school seniors that are, that have the athletic ability to go somewhere, but there isn't any space for them. Regarding going on your visits, the visits have been virtual for a while. They've been virtual for a while. Yes, it does impact how you recruit, but no one is getting on airplane. And extending the dead period doesn't surprise me. That's strictly 100% COVID-related. So it's, it's having a huge impact, and, it's ha- and the trickle-down is it's impacting all these high school kids, all these student-athletes. Um, I have friends that have kids that are, I mean, highly hot recruits in the country. And it's delaying their decisions. And they had a football season in the fall. They just finished their football season. So um, can graduate early and get to the university. But not if there aren't going to be scholarships available. We'll see how this all works out um, going forward, uh, whether it's college basketball and if there are going to be any changes. We'll, you know, it's, it's funny that this league will eventually start, and um, I'm pretty sure there will be um, stoppage of games and cancellations stoppage. and yeah. uh, postponements. And, uh, you know, speaking of a, a league and, a, you know, a conference that's dealing with a lot of that, um, it's uh, the Big Ten. And uh, the Big Ten has uh, been having some some issues on their own and teams that had high expectations that are struggling. And um, this past weekend, uh, Urban Meyer was on uh, Fox Sports and um, he mentioned, you know, media and fans and, you know, critics are usually, uh, you know, usually blame players and coaches. But uh, he feels that there's a. you know, there's more to that. And when especially when it comes to your own team and uh, this is what he had to say. Every time I've had a team struggle, every time, it's fallen in one of three categories. Number one, there's some trust issue. The players don't trust the coach. The coach don't trust the players. Or awful when the players don't trust each other. Number two, you really think about it, it's called a dysfunctional work environment, Reggie, and that's that. Where the expectations are very high, but we don't work hard. I've been there before, Coach. It's, and, and the coach has to be real clear with his team, say, wait a minute, that's going to lead to frustration, anger, disappointment, because we want to win a championship. I got news, guys. We're not working hard. So quit, stop with the yeah. expectations. If you're, your work ethic must exceed or equate your expectations, that's a good environment. And the last one is real obvious. you got a selfish team, man. 
You got problems on your team. Football is a unselfish sport. That means mm-hmm. you got to do the nasty. That means I'm a running back. I got to go protect for my quarterback. Yeah. That you don't always get to carry the ball. Sometimes you have to run down and kick off 22 miles an hour and throw yourself into someone coming 15 miles an hour the other way. That's not fun. Why would you do that? Because you love your team and your teammates. So when you hear mm. LSU, Penn State, Wolverine struggling, stop with the bad players. I, I get sick of hearing that. It's not the players. Mm. I don't think it's the coaches. But there's something wrong. Lift the hood, find out one of those three things is usually the reason. That was uh, Urban Meyer on Fox Sports. Um, Scott, you heard his comment and what he had to say about uh, coaching and the difficult and the things that could happen in a locker room. Uh, you know, what were your thoughts when you heard his comments uh, about the locker room and the responsibility uh, to get that fixed? Well, uh, you know, as being a former coach, um, you know, I think that always your culture is is an important piece to your program and how how you deal with things and uh, whether it's, you know, trust issues to, um, you know, people relying on each other, all those things, you know, brotherhood, friendships. I mean, all that stuff is is it is it the issue in the locker room? Is it that piece? Um, you know, are always concerns, you know, you, one of the things that, you know, we can talk about through the COVID is, you know, all the bonding, the things you get to do, the lunchroom, you know, shenanigans and making people sing songs and all that kind of stuff is that, you know, what makes part of your team and those things. And I've heard some guys say that really sucks not being able to do that. Go from immediately to a practice to a zoom is an interesting concept when, in, when you're going through all this stuff. So I do understand coach Myers comments. And I, and I do think that's probably sometimes things you need to look at, um, I know that uh, Dory has comments about who said it, so I'll let I'll kick it over to her on that one. <laughs> kick it over well, to Dory. It's Urban Meyer, people. <laughs> Let's look at the source, okay? <laughs> Let's look at the source. I mean, really, who would know more about huh, distrust and trust issues, dysfunctional family, quote unquote? coach and team and being unselfish that's a foreign concept for urban Meyer. Mm-hmm. starts at the top urban it starts at the top and the integrity of the coach first foremost and most important because it has a trickle-down effect and he has proven in and out and year in and year out that he cannot be trusted. He fosters dysfunction and can't spell unselfish. Mm. You know, it, it's, it's tough. I, I, I like what he said, right? Because um, he's not wrong to a certain extent, but the things that has happened with his programs, and I'm not talking about winning, right? You know, when when, when you have the best of the best and the, the Percy Harvins and and uh, Tim Tebow's and all these guys running around and, and the way you, as a coach, your X's and O's, they've always been on point. But, you know, when he was head coach at Florida, you know, he had guys there, you know, 30, 30, sub, 30 plus uh, uh, players, were arrested. Um, he had a running back. Um, I forgot his name. I think it was Charlie Gaines or something like that. Um, that got accused of threatening his girlfriend, right? Th- threatening his girlfriend. That would take care of it. People knew what was going on with the shenanigans with Angel Hernandez, right? He goes to Ohio State. 
He's had players like that. His own coach, right? Zach Smith. He knew what Zach Smith was doing and being abusive to Courtney Smith, his wife, and how they tried to handle it, how he tried to speak to her and say, hey, uh, you know, we'll, 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 we'll take care of this or, or whatever, whatever that conversation was, you know, the neglect, the cover-up. Cover-up. Uh, you know, it's, it all sounds nice on TV. It all sounds nice for quotes. Yeah. But when you look at the body of work and the work that this man has done and the people that have played for him, and then you look at a, a coaching staff or, or a, a, you know, at least this particular coach that he covered up for, that he had his own wife go talk to Courtney so she could calm down and not report it. It's just ugly, you know? So when you're talking about certain things and look in the mirror and take care of your own house and, and everything else, man, it sounds hypocritical. So yeah. I like the words. But I don't like the words of the mouth that's coming out of. <laughs> yeah, well said. Well, I don't know how how else to transition. We're gonna we're gonna just transition into something positive. <laughs> Let, let's let's just get into Dory's. Where's my dogs at? Woof woof woof. Where's my dogs at? Woof. Let's Dory. Woof, woof. Who's your dog? And we spell dog with D A W G S. The dogs. Where's my dogs at? Who's your dog this week, Dory? Hey. Our dog is in the backyard, tied in for the Huskies, tied in for the Seahawks. Will Disley. Will Disley is our dog. Where's my dog's at feature today? And talk about, talk about someone that you really want to be a part of your program and represent your program. Will Disley from Bozeman, Montana was a four-sport athlete, not three, not three, not two, not one, four-sport athlete as he was growing up. Uh, hockey, basketball, football, and track. And won the, his team in high school won the state, uh, but it was something that happened at home and at school that Will Disley credits the most. He said with his parents, it was, we will do everything. We will support you. Uh, students, athletes are strong individuals. Here's how you build your integrity and become a productive person in society. Um, and it became a tradition in their home, and he took it elsewhere. First of all, he was recruited to play at Boise State by Coach Peterson. I remember this succinctly, you guys. When Coach Peterson got the job here, and then he started saying how happy he was that players at Boise State agreed to come with him to Washington, I, I was highly concerned. Highly concerned. Because if they were good enough to play at Washington to start with, why, why, why are we bringing them from Boise State? Like, why, Coach? Why? Well, I get it. Anybody, any coach in this country would want to have a Will Disley on their on their team. I uh, started as a tackle on the defense. He played both ways in high school. And he got here and was, to his own admission, he said, I was so fortunate that 
Coach Peterson brought me with him and asked me if I would come and play at Washington. He said, because I was not recruited by, by a large, a big D1 program. Not one offer. Not one. But I think Coach Peterson knew what Will Disley had to bring to a team was what he wanted to change the culture for the Huskies. Will was buried on the defensive side. Four, four, fourth defensive tackle down. And right before his junior year, they said, well, why don't we put you at tight end? And Will worked day in, day out, put in more time on the field, more time in the classroom, and became a tight end that ended up being picked for the Seattle Seahawks in 2017. So uh, Pete Carroll has nothing but the best to say about Will Disley. And through two injuries, which would have, for most people, would have shut down their entire career. Okay, The first was the same one that Jimmy Graham had with a dislocated patella. And all Will Disley did was go back to work, rehab, and, oh, yeah, finish his college education and get his degree. Then he comes back out, started his next year. He ends up rupturing his Achilles. So two years in a row. But the one thing that Coach uh, Carroll has said about Will Disley is he's the first guy in, the last guy to leave. He never missed a practice. When he was injured, he would come to practice. Never missed a rehab. Was at every film session, even though he was injured. Was thought to be just the best blocking tight end in the in in the in the draft. Oh no, he has become a stellar pass receiving tight end, and the Seahawks use him all the time. So that's our dog. That's our dog. That's our dog. Where's our dog at? I think you guys want to be watching him. He is uh, above all an amazing person. Shows perseverance and gives back to his community. That's uh, Will Disley. Uh, he was a Montana's Gatorade uh, High School Player of the Year in 2013. He reminds me, and I, and I hope he has a career, he reminds me a little bit of a, another guy that I saw play in New Jersey. He was also the Gatorade Player of the Year. He was a two-way player also and a multi-sport athlete. And he is also on the Seahawks. His name is Greg Olson. He played for his dad at Wayne Hills and won multiple state titles. Um, you know, we say goodbye to... Uh, we say goodbye to a legend, uh, Scott, uh, Paul Horning, the golden boy. He's the only Heisman winner. Imagine that, to win on a losing team. Uh, he passed away this week. Uh, we know how much he meant to uh, Lombardi and the Packers and what they wanted to do. Um, but also uh, as an incredible uh, collegiate, uh, you know, just uh, what were your thoughts when you heard about uh, the passing of uh, the golden boy? Well, to anybody who you know watched college football in the past, that uh, you can have nothing but utmost respect for him and for what he did in the pros. And so, you know, again, the 2020 doesn't cease to amaze me. You know, uh, it just seems like it was one after the other of the good people that are going, and and uh, it's not by the COVID, it's by other ways. And 
it's uh, just, you know, nothing but utmost respect for him. And like you said, and I think that's really the, the true true character of who he is, uh, who he, as he was a football player, to win the Heisman on a losing team. is That's an impressive statistic because we both, I mean, we all know, I mean, kind of the, where, the, where the Heisman is now. You got to be on a winning program, winning team. You yeah. got to have, you know, it's got, it's kind of, you have to have those things in it <clears throat> or you're never going to be up there on, in New York. So uh, truly a tribute to, you know, to the, to the utmost of what that, uh, you know, originally what the trophy was about the best player in college football. So uh, rest in peace to coach, uh, I mean, to uh, Paul Hornig and uh, you know, t- t- tough times for this, you know, for everybody in the family having to deal with all these things. Cause we all know he can't have funerals and do all those things. So um, may he rest in peace. Speaking of rest in peace, Dory, um, it was 50 years yeah. uh, this past weekend. Uh, amazing, amazing. Um, you know, we remember the thundering herd. Um, you know, we are Marshall is something that resonates, especially if you're a sports fan and, you know, you, whether you've seen the movie or you just uh, just put on a game and hear the chance. Uh, 50 years ago, 75 lives were lost. 36 of them were players. The rest were administrators and coaches and boosters and, you know, business uh, leaders that uh, affected the school, the program, the town where so many kids were lost and, and, and uh, mothers and fathers. And it's just, uh, it's just amazing that that occurred and, and what happened uh, during and after um, just remembering uh, the thundering herd. Uh, what are your thoughts? Well, um, every year they, they, they talk about uh, We Are Marshall and, and how they took a huge tragedy and continue to remember the 75 every single year. They have the number 75 on every helmet. They were talking about how this story has become very personal for anybody who has ever played at Marshall or any student that has attended Marshall, any faculty, any family that is connected. And one of the... One of the personal stories, not that I know these people, but a a story that was brought out had to do with one, a a player in in particular, came from a family of 10 siblings, 10, was the first person in the family to go to college and his nickname was Hoofbeats, Hoofbeats Blevins. And his father was a worker in the mines. His mother worked at a diner and his sister shared the following story. She said that it was her brother's first plane ride ever and she said that her tall gentle giant of a sibling had called just before departure from Huntington West Virginia and said this is my first time getting on the bird 
they were a family from Bluefield, and she said that she was 17 years old when her brother was playing at Marshall and died in that plane crash. And it said that evening on the television, a couple of players rode back in an equipment van, and we didn't know if he was in the equipment van. We just had to wait. Then all of a sudden, the phone started ringing, and people started coming to the house. And there were cars and more cars and more cars arriving at their home. And she said to this day, she will always, always feel that emotion and that pride and that love for her brother. We remember Marshall as uh, football fans, as, uh, you know, as humans, right? You know, um, you know whether you're a, a brother or a sibling, a mother or father, you know, uh, you can just imagine the devastation. And they've done a remarkable job of moving on and um, put together their lives, their programs, um, you know, everything that's gone on. Scott, listen, this is a tough question for you, brother. You ready? <laughs> yes, sir. All right. Listen, I'm just talking to you. Nobody's listening. We're just whispering. Okay. okay? Yes, sir. Yes, um, sir. Penn State is playing Iowa. I believe Penn State has never gone 0 and 5. They've dominated the last two games in every category and have lost. What does Penn State need to do to get their first win next week? Well, I, I, I ultimately, you know, from the coaching side of it and from the, you know, perspective is really simple. They got to get ahead. I mean, they're, they're always playing from behind and you can't spot teams 20 points and think you're going to get back into this game. Um, obviously they're limited. They've lost their two best running backs. Uh, Journey Brown is now out because uh, of a heart condition. Yeah, read that. Uh, they've yeah. lost Noah, Noah Kane, their second string running back, broke his foot on the first in the first game against Indiana. So they're they're hurt. They're down from that perspective. Um, you know, they just they got to get ahead earlier and, and and control the thing. I mean, they made a, a pretty valiant comeback and uh, had two opportunities to get down to the goal line and couldn't n- knock it in, and get it done. Um, you know, you know, so that's, I mean, that, that's the bottom line. I mean, just when you just spot teams and just don't come out of the, of the, the, the front in the beginning, you know, and I, I, and this is not to knock on coach Franklin at all by any stretch of imagination, but I think he was honest with his feelings this week, what he said about, you know, and not having family around and that's really changed him and personally and how he, you know, he attacks the day and does these things. And, and I totally get it as, as a person who has a, uh, compromised autoimmune system you know they got to do the right thing for their family their daughter has sickle cell and so they're doing the right thing by keeping them separated to make sure that because he's around so many different kids and things like that so i think you know again not to give excuses those are things but uh, if you're the leader of the group and you're feeling that you can't you know you don't have that energy from your family uh, how does that work down to the next level and again not excuses that's not you know he was he's not using that way He's just, he's just talking about talking about those issues. So, um, you know, so hopefully they can get get ahead. That would be the biggest thing I would say. I mean, from the beginning, it's a, just a hard upfield battle when you're always fighting from behind. Dory, your dogs are playing Arizona, which uh, gave uh, the Trojans a run for their money. Two weeks in a row, the yeah. Trojans come back. Uh, what, what do the Huskies need to do um, before you go down there and put your foot in somebody's whoop? 
Okay. What do they got to do to beat Arizona? <laughs> well, we absolutely, they need to be a little bit more solid in a game plan where we're going down the field vertically, establish the run so that you can use the play action pass. Okay. We have two tight ends on the Huskies, currently on the Husky team, okay, that are preseason Pac 12 award winners. Uh, nominees, okay? Man, get, use your tight end, use your play action. Uh, receivers need to spend some extra time catching balls. I don't care if it's out of a machine from a quarterback. And somebody needs to show them that the extension of the arm is a part of the hand <laughs> so that we can catch the ball. You got to get them uh, stick uh, hey, hey, let, let's go back to the let's, the, let's get, get, get back to the stickums. We're going to call Freddie and get the stickum to happen. Oh boy! Whatever they need to do. Belitnikov. Whatever they need to do. <laughs> um, but I just think that they need to be more solid on on a vertical game plan. Um, Arizona is no joke. I watched the Arizona SD game, and uh, again, they had they had SC stop. And I think sometimes SC is a team that looks like it just stops itself or forgets to start. And they have so much talent on their team that that uh, it's zero zero. It 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 doesn't happen for them. But uh, Arizona's offense will shake, round, and roll. So the defense needs to be ready. Defense needs to be ready. They need to be faster, stronger, react quicker, um, because Arizona is. That they're they're no joke, and it's always tough. It's always tough. Well, it should be a, a fun week coming up ahead. Uh, just a quick correction. Yeah. The running back I was talking about before with Urban Meyer from Florida was uh, running back Chris Rainey. Uh, he was uh, stalking and threatening his girlfriend. He got suspended for four games and wound up playing. So I just want to make sure I made that correction yeah. there when I was talking about names. Who knew that the game of the week was going to be Indiana against Ohio State? I said that 10 weeks ago. I knew that this was <laughs> going to be the matchup, not Penn State, Ohio State. So I just want to be clear. Just don't check the records. I want to be clear that I have said that first and foremost because who knew that a basketball university was going to be one of the best uh, college football teams uh, in the Big Ten. Enjoy the week. Uh, Pretty sure a lot of things will be happening. Stay safe. Go get that damn toilet paper. Remember, if you're nice, you spare a square for everyone to enjoy. So, uh, Dory Bennett, Scott Ligo, uh, student athletes, advocates, please go check him out. Uh, He is here to help you with the recruiting process uh, throughout. And if, if if there is ever a time to get some help about the damn recruiting process and know, knowing what you need to know, please check out Scott Ligo and his student athletes advocates. Um, hey, boys and girls, you have a great week. You too. All right. Thanks, Will. Bye, Scott. All right. Bye, thanks York. for listening to NYC. We're out. We're out.